Hour number three kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. If you are enjoying the video, please note that we will not be doing video the next week as we get ready and prep to move studios. We had told you we were getting some work done around here, and we were not lying about that. I was told by management that we are getting set to start moving equipment over to our new studio, which we're very excited to get into and very excited to show you guys. But in order to do that, we have to start moving stuff. And that begins over the weekend and takes us into next week. So no video, no video next week. And there might be some other changes coming. I don't know if anything will be impacted actually on air, but just giving you guys an update as as February is approaching, and we should be in the new studio within a couple weeks. Exciting! Can't wait. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be a good thing. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Going to be a little bit further of a drive for you, Sam. Hopefully, you can handle it. It'll be a little bit longer of a drive. Yeah, I'll be good. That's why you got to know those traffic patterns, man. Yeah. The good Commander is, Truck's going to be your, yeah, my best friend. Exactly. The, the good news is there's not a lot of traffic at 6.30 a.m. No. Not near as bad as it is. It will be uh, maybe leaving at 10 a.m. to get to class. You might have to have a 30-minute window on those days you need to leave early if you're going to get to campus. But I got 20 minutes in between yeah. the show and class, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll, 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 get a, we'll get a trial run figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big, obviously, NFL weekend coming up. I know we've been talking a lot about coaches throughout the week, which, by the way, uh, Titans fans, I feel like I need you. I need you to answer from an outsider perspective, Bob. And and I know that you're a Vol supporter, Vol fan, but you're you come from a different, you know, Big Ten country, so like you're you're still kind of able to be a little bit unbiased, I guess, about the, the Tennessee fan base, the Vols as well, because I feel like there's some overlap here with the Titans, but maybe it's justified. Maybe it's legitimate. But, like, it seems I've listened to NFL podcasts. I've listened to you know, even this tweet here from Mike Tannenbaum where he's talking about the new coaches in the NFL and they're ranking the new coaches and they're ranking the openings. He mentions the name of the new coaches in the, in the NFL and doesn't mention the Titans head coach. And they're talking about the best job openings. The Titans aren't mentioned. They're talking about the actual job openings. The guy's getting coached. Brian Callahan's not getting talked about. Am I being too sensitive for feeling overlooked? For feeling like no one cares about the Titans? He couldn't even make the list. This Mike Tannenbaum's supposed to be a big-time NFL writer for ESPN. And he says, ages of new coaches, Bob. Gerard Mayo, 37. Antonio Pierce, 45. Jim Harbaugh, 60. Raheem Morris, 47. Dave Canales, 42. There's no mention. There's no even mention of Brian Callahan. That is weird. Tannenbaum's a yeah. He's a former NFL exec, right? He was right. head of the. He was like player personnel guy for the Jets. Um, but he works for ESPN right now. Yeah, I know. I know. I. Uh, so, what's your question to me? Or am, am I being too? Is the Titans fan base being too sensitive for feeling disrespected and overlooked by not getting mentioned in this tweet? But it feels like it's been a larger conversation for a while now. Just the way. And even circling back to what we talked about at the beginning of Hour 1, the way that the Titans were bashed for firing Mike Vrabel. Like, how could you let this superstar coach go? He'll have teams lining up to hire him. Newsflash, no one's hired him. I believe, and I have no bone to pick with the Titans. Sure. Um, I believe they're very irrelevant in the eyes of folks outside of the state of Tennessee. Um. It, they were what? What they finished five and twelve or six and eleven? Well, yeah. No, that, no. Does get answer my question? Uh, six and eleven. Okay, 
my point is they're almost, in my opinion, perceptually they're they're viewed almost like a team that won two or three games outside of Tennessee. It's just that's yeah. that's what it's become. And I don't know if that's a byproduct of Amy Adams Strunk and the way she runs things. Vrabel is, I think, a very capable coach, but he's not he's not sexy in any way, shape, or form. It's as pretty form. good looking. Now kind of muscular that's a different topic but um kind of muscular's fit <laughs> no but i i think that I, the overlook by tannenbaum's pretty pretty bad yeah that, i was gonna say the panthers went like two and 15 yeah, and dave canal has got a mention no I don't, I don't understand that but i do think that i i do think that afc south teams almost all the other ones and now with houston winning they get they get a lot more attention for better or worse than tennessee does yeah I'm trying not to be sensitive. I mean, I feel like when they do when when college football writers do it to Tennessee, I'm like, okay, I get your game because you're gonna get a social media freak out and like, hey, you're gonna get if you're writing an article and you mention Tennessee in a bad light or don't mention Tennessee at all for uh, surprising teams, like you'll you'll get some mentions, you'll get some interactions. I get it almost from that side of like, hey, poke the bear a little bit with the Titans. I think it's more of just like we forget about you. And again, you got Dave Canales. <laughs> And the Carolina Panthers. You, yes. you, you remember them. That is as – yeah, Panthers are as irrelevant as it gets right now. Right. So, I, I, yeah, I kind of feel for you there. We've never gotten the, the shine from the media, John, but I do feel like in the the six-year Vrabel era, era like his kind of persona and that, like, tough guy, like, underdog, why not us? Like, the whole fan base kind of got behind yeah, that and was it. like, all right, like – I don't even want the media to say anything good about my team. Like, I just want Mike Vrabel to come out and, and win a game with this team. It's possible that every franchise and every team feels like this outside of, like, the Cowboys. I don't know. I mean, it's possible because, like, I mean, or because I'm trying to be realistic and say it's not just a Tennessee thing, but, like, I see the same thing from Grizzlies fans, too. They feel forgotten and disrespected. Like, they feel villainized with the John Morant stuff and that he gets covered different in a different way and, like, gets covered too harshly compared to some other guys. And, you know, they make the Josh Giddy comparisons of, you know, the NBA is fine with Josh Giddy, maybe having sex with a 16-year-old girl, but, hey, don't show a gun on camera or you get or else you're damaging the league. You know, and they feel persecuted in that way, too. So I'm like, is it just a Tennessee thing, like the state of Tennessee? But that's just me maybe being in my bubble. So I'm like, does every fan base feel this way? Like, if I go through, like, a, a Mississippi State fan's mentions, is he like, hey, why no one's, why is no one talking about us? I don't know. I also think the Titans put a pretty boring product on the well, that, field. Well, that that is that, that yeah. is too. <laughs> that is too. But again, Spot again, on. again, again, Bob, the Carolina Panthers won like what two games, one game, and they were pretty damn boring too. And we yeah. got Dave Canales on the list, but yeah. there was at least a Bryce Young story. You know, sure, had the number one pick. Who, it was as good as Will Levis, by the way, but still. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think Sam, that's a that's a really good point too. I, we I, are boring. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think of the like the biggest Vrabel moment was what when you when the Titans beat. The Patriots and he, you know, the 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 student kind of schooled the, the he, teacher. He also had the viral quote that said he would cut off his penis to win the Super Bowl. That that drew a lot of attention yeah. too. Uh, I think we went pretty viral for that yeah. one. I'd never heard that one. Yeah, yeah. He, he had said that he would be willing to sacrifice that for a Super Bowl. He said that a couple years ago and that went viral. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean beating the Patriots probably got more run than even beating the Ravens the next week and going to the AFC championship. I mean, we, there was some success. I mean, we won some divisions. We were oh, the yeah. one seed one year. But but that fuels the fire of what I'm talking about, Bob, in the sense of Vrabel was a pretty good coach for the Titans. Some people talked about it. No one really did. 
<clears throat> but the moment Tennessee fired him, it was like, wow, this is Vince Lombardi. How are you going to fire this promising right. head coach that relates to his players and is so smart? Teams are going to be fawning over, you know, falling over themselves to hire him. They're going to be fawning over Mike Vrabel. And, of course, we've talked about it. No one's hired him yet. Yeah. He's only gotten a couple interviews even. Yeah. I think if you guys make the Super Bowl that year, if you could have gotten past Kansas City, then yeah. might have changed the narrative a little too. Yeah. Uh, that was that, the year, Bob. That was the top three heartbreaking loss of my life. I do think the Bengals loss hurt more, though, I think. The Two Bengals loss is my number one. Yeah, I, I think, think the ever. Bengals loss hurt worse. I was at both of them. It was a really stupid ride back from Kansas City, Bob, in the AFC Championship game. I was cold, and my friends made me go eat Kansas City barbecue, and I was like, please, let's just get out of the city. Like, no, we want barbecue. I'm like, please, let's just get out. I don't even like barbecue. like, oh, we want barbecue, Kansas City barbecue. I'm like, all right, whatever. How good was it? You I don't like barbecue. You didn't even care. I mean, it was fine, I guess. I, you'll have to ask them, but I know it felt really stupid wearing Titans gear in there, sitting with some cheese fans <laughs> eating barbecue. I'll, know, I, I, I'll let you know that. I felt really dumb doing that. Yeah. But yeah, the Bengals lost. That that one hurt. That one hurt worse. That was also a moment, I guess. Uh, I mean, there was. The, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on. Let's move on to. <laughs> you asked, man. You yeah, asked. no. I mean, I appreciate it. I, I, so it sounds like you're saying that we're just irrelevant, and and our insecurity is justified because people don't care about us. People don't notice us, so we need to lash out to get attention. <laughs> yes. there, there is a hardcore uh, band of. Titans fans, I know a lot of them. You're one of them. I don't consider myself like a hardcore, like crazy fan. I mean, I I love the Titans, but like I don't actually go on Twitter and argue with people like, hey, pay attention to us. I don't really do that. No, but yeah, again, I think it's – there. there's obviously a few big-name brands in the NFL, and uh, suffice to say the Titans aren't one of them. Well, I know that. Yeah. Thank you for breaking the news to me that we're not a big brand. I get it. Yeah. Just wait for us to pass the football more. We're going to be fine. Do Colts fans feel the same way? Do they have that kind of uh, victim complex of in terms of, like, hey, we want more respect and, hey. Oh, no, I don't think so. Pay, yeah, so I, think, I think the Colts get a good amount of shine. They, they do. Yeah. They absolutely they much, do, and actually, I, yeah. I, I would probably agree with yeah. that. I think that uh, I think some of that's a byproduct still of Peyton. Sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then sometimes they're in the news for all the wrong reasons, you know, like what's going on with Ursay right now. Ursay does stuff. keep him in the news yeah. quite a bit, yeah. so I, I, guess that, I guess that's fair. Yeah, yeah. We need we need Amy Adams to develop some type of get on substance her, abuse problem. Let's we need to get see. on her butt, Adams. <laughs> let's see. Let's yeah. At least get on the butt, Adams. Get a little reckless. Let's flip some fans off. Let's do something. Come on. Yeah, do your best, Tepper. There's actually some games going on though on Sunday. The final four, of course, uh, has been set, and we are on the cusp of it. Kansas City at Baltimore, Detroit at San Francisco. We'll talk a little bit more uh, later with it with Eli. Hersovich, as we do some gambling talk in college basketball and football. But where do you two stand on those games right now? Baltimore, four-point favorites. San Francisco, seven-point favorites. You going chalk? The preordained Super Bowl logo destiny conspiracy theory that has been red and purple, telling you the whole time it was going to be a red and purple team playing each other? Or do you see a, uh, a road team being able to pull an upset? I think... I don't see Kansas City being able to solve Baltimore. Okay. I really don't. Now, I was just looking at weather in Baltimore. It's going to be warm enough. It's going to be high 40s, but there's a lot of rain in the forecast that day. I don't know if that has any impact on what the Chiefs do, but I just think this comes down to a game between the quarterbacks. And I, 
as good as Mahomes is, I still think Lamar is playing at MVP level. We talked about that. So I uh, and and Baltimore's defense is, I mean, it's they're a bunch of dogs, man. They're playing well. So I I like I like Baltimore in that game. The second to win and cover. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. Um, and then second game. Um, there's something telling me. I mean, on paper, I think it's San Francisco, but man, I I don't I don't want to sell Detroit short in this for some reason. I just think they they're they've got the mindset to go out and win. It's just going to be San Francisco's got more talent, I would say. But I, I there's part of me that they, I, don't, I don't I think it's close in terms of the talent department. I mean, I know they might have more like top end talent, correct? But I think the depth that Detroit has is probably better than the depth San Francisco has across the board. Yeah. In terms of talented players. Yeah. I think um I think that's one where I see I see San Francisco probably winning, but I think Detroit can cover that seven or whatever it is. I really hope Dan Campbell ramps it up and goes to the extreme of like <laughs> we're going we we got four downs to get first downs in this game. Like we are going to try to to go and be aggressive. And not leave anything on the table. Like, I, I want him to be as aggressive as he was in week one against Kansas City with the fake punts and fourth downs. Like, don't – my fear is that he clams up now that the moment's actually here in the NFC Championship. And, like, now there's going to be, you know, 60 million eyeballs watching. I, I, I hope that's not the case. I, I don't think so. I think he's – nah, that's, that's not him. But – also in that game, because if you think back to the Green Bay game last weekend in San Francisco, it was brutal. Lots of rain, everything else. Weather's going to be nearly perfect in San Francisco on Sunday, so that's not a factor either. We we didn't talk about it enough coming out of the weekend because, you know, quite frankly, we didn't have to because they found a way to win. But Brock Purdy was not good. No. In in their game against Green Bay, if, if he plays that way against Detroit, I do think they lose. San Francisco gets credit for having a great defense, but they they do not have a great defense. Like I, I do think Detroit's going to be able to score the ball, score the ball, score the points, score points. I do think they'll be able to move the ball and score against San Francisco. So like I, I anticipate this game to kind of be a shootout. Every weekend is becoming like a big defining moment for Jared Goff, in my opinion, too. He did it against the Rams. That one was the most defining because Stafford was coming back into town. It was the team that traded him to Detroit. Um, you know, I, and then Tampa Bay was, that turned into a shootout that I wasn't quite expecting, but I, I agree with you. I think, and I think Goff, Goff's the better quarterback at the moment. He's playing better than Purdy. He's playing safer. Purdy's still having to take shots down the field, whereas Goff's been able to kind of dink and dunk against his opponents. I don't, I don't know if he'll be able to dink and dunk against San Francisco, but, but maybe. You know, the, the four, five, six-yard passes and hopefully get something after the run and swing passes to Gibbs and hopefully he breaks one and maybe just keep the chains moving might be their best route, whereas Purdy is still kind of taking shots down the field and not being very accurate on some of them. Goff's, like, average depth of target, I think, for against uh, Tampa was, like, four yards. Yeah. So, they're, like, they're making him play, like, in himself and, and, and take the easy shots. Maybe they ramp up against San Francisco. Maybe they don't have to. I don't know. Sam, how do you see that? Um, yeah, I mean, in the first game in the AFC, it, to me, I'm never going to bet against Patrick Mahomes as an underdog in the yeah. playoffs. You yeah. know, if I can get four points with him, I'm just going to take it. And if he loses, then I'm just going to take my losses there. Um, it really did seem dumb how many people were picking Buffalo last week when you're like, wait a second. Yeah. I know Patrick Mahomes doesn't go on the road, but he's still Patrick Mahomes. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take that same logic with me this week. Uh, as for the NFC, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna make an emotional bet here. I think I'm gonna go Lions. Rawr! Yeah, I, I just want Dan Campbell and those boys to make it to the Super Bowl. We will talk about it more coming up with Eli Hersovich. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Ever- Welcome back to the morning show. Bob Baskerville here with John Reed. Um, we've been talking a lot. This is a big sports weekend in front of us. We have great college basketball games. Of course, the NFL Conference Championships, which we were just talking about. So for those who may like to do some recreational wagering on the games, the morning show's here to help. Let's make some money. Yes. Joining us today is Eli Hershkovich the lead sports betting writer, analyst, and podcast host of At The Lines, or At The Lines US. Eli focuses on college basketball and the NFL, so he is the perfect guest for what I'm calling a weekend betaway segment. So, uh, Eli, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, it's a great weekend for sports betting, whether you're looking at the NFL, your Tennessee balls, or college basketball in general. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so let's talk about that. I mean, I, we would love to get your take on the Tennessee game against Vanderbilt, which is not necessarily a uh, sexy matchup, but uh, but it matters to the folks around here. But also, there are some big games going on nationally in college basketball. So uh, can you break some of that down for us? Yeah, we could start with Tennessee-Vanderbilt really quickly just off the bat from a national standpoint and from somebody who bets on college basketball, Dalton Connect is finally healthy, as you guys well know, after dealing with that injury after the UNC game. And Tennessee's offense has been number one in SEC play. And then you look across the landscape. I mean, tonight, even Michigan State at Wisconsin, pretty big Big Ten game just because Wisconsin is sitting at the top of the Big Ten standings. Auburn, Mississippi State tomorrow. Arizona, Oregon, honestly, a pretty intriguing game just because Arizona just lost outright as an 18-and-a-half-point favorite at Oregon State last night. Kansas and Iowa State, a huge Big 12 game as Kansas is dealing with a lot of depth issues. So a lot of really fun matchups. How long do you think it will take for the line makers to catch up to Tennessee's offense being as explosive as it is? Because from what I've seen, Eli, Tennessee's team total over has been a pretty good bet for most of the year when you're coming off a 91-point game against Alabama, back-to-back 85-point games against Florida and Georgia. It seems like they are consistently outperforming their expectations there. Yeah, and it's as you guys know pretty well, it's the first time really, at least as a better, that you could say Tennessee's offense is playing to the level that its defense is played in recent years under Rick Barnes. Second-rated adjusted defensive efficiency across college basketball. And to have a pro on this team and a true pro scoring-wise and connect is very big from a betting standpoint. And I think we're going to see it this weekend if it hasn't already. I mean, they're going to be around 17-point favorites at home against Vanderbilt on top of the fact that I would expect their team total to be in the 70 range. And not only is it connect, it's a do too to have a big like that take the leap that he has this season. Jordan Ganey, another transfer that came into the fold. Josiah Jordan James has also been 
more of a consistent three-point threat for this team. So Vanderbilt's an interesting team just because they have given some of their opponents fits this season, whether it's Memphis, who has slumped of late. They gave Alabama a bit of a competitive matchup at the beginning of SEC play. Auburn was more of a double-digit win, 15-point scoring margin. But the big thing for this for this Vanderbilt team is can they space the floor shooting around 25% from three? So can you keep up with Tennessee offensively and at least in conference play that hasn't happened. Getting to the line has been a bit of a liability for Tennessee defensively in terms of allowing their fair share of free throw attempts. So can Vanderbilt slow the game down and within that, make their fair share of threes in the half court. That's going to be the biggest question for this game to keep this one within the 17-point projected line. From a strategic standpoint, how do you approach the college basketball season when it comes to future betting? Like, Is that something you're constantly looking at and trying to find value in, or are you more focused on the day-to-day, week-to-week of the gambling? Yeah, I usually put down a couple features at the beginning of the season. It's a good question just because everybody's process is different. I more so take a little bit of a wider approach at the entire odds board when it comes to long shots. I had a Creighton future going back to the beginning of the year at around 40 to one. They're now in the 20, 25 to one range, but to be honest, I don't like that bet as much as I did going into the season. Maryland, I took a dart at it 80 to one. That hasn't worked out, but the one future that has come in a positive sense for me has been Auburn. I got them at 80 to one. And as you guys well know, They've outperformed expectations and then some. Projected to be an upper echelon team in the SEC, but the leap that we've seen from Janai Broom, a top five player arguably in college basketball, and this team is top five in adjusted defensive efficiency, top ten offense, which I definitely didn't expect, but that's the kind of ceiling that you look to grab with a long shot, and hopefully it comes to fruition and for the Tigers, it has. The question is, as we saw on Wednesday night at Alabama, even though Auburn overcame a double-digit halftime deficit, can these guards, can you have a go-to score down the stretch? Do you have a go-to score down the stretch within this backcourt? And Aiden Holloway, while he's had some double-digit scoring performances in conference play, didn't show that against Alabama and Denver Jones, the FIU transfer, Pretty good perimeter floor spacer going back to his mid-major days, but hasn't been a super consistent scorer, not that they needed him to be, but in that game in particular, I was expecting and hoping to see those guards step up, and that's the kind of output, hopeful output, I'm looking for against Mississippi State to see what Auburn has down the stretch in a close game with this backcourt. Yeah, so let's talk about that with Again, you've you've given some top line of some games, uh, and there's a lot of good ones. If you were to pick two or three games that were like, those are the ones you can you know win some money on. Which which ones would you point out? You know, regardless of conference at this point. Yeah, Kansas, Iowa State. I think the Cyclones are going to be around three point favorites, and that's a bet that I would make as a possession favorite at home against Kansas. Now, to your average novice whether it's better or college basketball fan or just watching Tennessee hoops, usually don't want to bet against Kansas, right? A Bill Self team and you add Hunter Dickinson 
in the transfer portal. But depth-wise for Kansas, it's been a major issue this season. Bottom 10 in the country in bench minutes. So outside of their starting lineup, and Kevin McCuller has been awesome. One of the more, uh, a scorer that's made a big leap after transferring into Kansas over from Texas Tech a couple of years ago. But Iowa State, I think, is going to be able to exploit Kansas's depth issues, especially when it comes to ball pressure. And that's been a strength of the Cyclones going back to the last few seasons under T.J. Otzelberger. But they're forcing the highest turnover rate in college basketball. And Kansas has reliable guards, like I mentioned. McCuller, more of a wing, but they have one of the better point guards in the country in Dewan Harris. But when you're facing consistent pressure, it's a different story. And then Iowa State, also one of the better offensive rebounding teams, not only in college basketball, but also in particular in the Big 12. And Kansas really struggles to clean up and limit second-chance shots and also keep opponents off the free-throw line, a metric that I brought up with Tennessee. And Iowa State, not only do you get your second-chance shots and get shot creation potential, whether it's threes or twos, but you can get to the free-throw line, obviously, off of those offensive rebounds. So I think Iowa State is able to keep this game into more of a slog, slower-paced game, which is not what Kansas wants to do with Harris and Dickinson. They want to push the tempo. And I would expect Iowa State to win that game by at least a possession. How do you handle balancing like con you know being a content guy doing podcasts you know trying to make people money but also trying to make money because sometimes the most intriguing games you know the the top 20 matchups are not the games with the best you know value you know lower on the board in terms of finding an obscure conference game with an edge where the spreads off a couple of points but it's not one that maybe many people are going to watch or care about yeah it's it's a great question because everybody wants the big matchup. They want to hear, okay, how are you going to handicap this game? Whether it's if we look ahead to the dance in the Final Four, how are you betting both of those games? How are you betting the national championship game? But for me, I make a, I have a college basketball model. That's something that I've built over the last few years and have updated when it comes to different metrics and different variables like that that allow me to make my own projected point spread. So I'm not just looking at the upper echelon matchups like Kansas-Iowa State or looking to bet a Tennessee game, for instance, every single night just because they're a top five, top ten team. Auburn, Mississippi State, same deal. And I get the question marks around Auburn just because they don't have a quad one win yet, so maybe some don't consider them to be in the top ten upper echelon of college basketball. But I'm hopeful that their guards figure it out. But I digress. Yeah, I mean, it's you have to really balance the wanting to find value in what your listeners, viewers are most interested in, and then trying to really dig into, okay, which matchup actually has the most value when it comes to the point spread, even a North Carolina-Florida State game. Now, I know that may seem like the same kind of line of thought with the top five, top ten teams, because North Carolina is in the top five in college basketball and has one of the best guards in the country in R.J. Davis. But to me, that's a defense that's been pretty fraudulent, and Florida State might not be the most intriguing team to your listeners or viewers, but pretty good three-point shooting team when they're on, and we saw that against Syracuse. We saw it in their early season matchup against Florida or against North Carolina shooting over 40%. So 
you're really trying to dig into market inefficiencies and which teams are over or underplaying to the expectation. Joined by Eli Herskovich, the Lions US, the Lions.com, trying to make you some money this weekend. He gave you Kansas, Iowa State. It sounds like you like Iowa State in that game, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. Now let's go to a game and games that a lot of people are going to be watching, a lot of people are going to want to be gambling on. NFL Conference Championship weekend, as we're looking, which game do you find the most value in? Which team do you find the most value in over under? What are you looking at? Yeah, I have a bet on the Ravens at minus three. I got that on the open on Sunday night. So nice. When we talk about yeah, when we talk about trying to find value, that's the gist of it. And that's not to say you're always trying to bet the opener or when the line immediately comes out, but where you see value, you're trying to get the most out of it. And I, I've been high on the Ravens all season. I have a Super Bowl bet on Baltimore going back to May. Got them at twenty five to one. Nice. So I've been, yeah, I've been bullish on the Ravens' chances to win it all. And when you look at their matchup against the Chiefs, this is a similar uh, similar line of thinking when it comes to trying to bet maybe the trendy dog Patrick Mahomes nine one and one against the spread eight and three outright as an underdog in his career. So I understand the sentiment that Kansas city is going to once again, prevail as an underdog. And it's rarely the case for Mahomes that you're not only getting him as a dog price, but getting him above the key number of a field goal, a key number when it comes to NFL betting. But I think the Ravens defense is able to match up well against the chiefs, whether it's having some bigger safeties cornerbacks to go up against Travis Kelsey and one-on-one coverage, which Hasn't been the case against the Chiefs in their last couple playoff games just because the Dolphins and Bills defenses haven't been healthy, to be frank. And the Chiefs didn't have a punt until their last true offensive possession in the divisional round last weekend. And also for the Ravens offensively, they should be able to exploit this Chiefs run defense, bottom 10 across numerous metrics in the NFL, not just in the AFC or within their own respective division. And Baltimore has one of the best RPO run gap schemes when it comes to their ground game in the league. Lamar Jackson, obviously a huge threat to put up a 60, 70-yard performance, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily as much him. I would expect the Chiefs to really center their game plan to stop Lamar on the ground, but you still have some relatively reliable backs in Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, and this is a game that I would expect to be a bit more lower scoring than most expect just because of the weather. The total is now around 44, but I think Baltimore wins this game by over a field goal and over four points. So give me Ravens minus four. Now, in your analysis, in your computer models, and everything you just said, I, I did not hear you mention the Taylor Swift effect, though, and that the NFL wants her at the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's funny because the referee in this game – is one of the more trendier referees or one of the more notable referees because underdogs have succeeded when Sean Smith is officiating a game. But not only that, he has favored road teams to an extreme degree. So there are a lot of conspiracy theories that the NFL is trying to get Taylor Swift to the Super Bowl and therefore assign Sean Smith to Ravens Chiefs. But, you know, I'm kind of hopeful the whole Taylor Swift saga comes to an end. I don't know if you guys are Taylor Swift fans. My fiance likes her songs and likes to listen to her music, but I got to say, I'm hopeful that 
my Ravens make the Super Bowl just from a betting standpoint, and the Taylor Swift storyline comes to a close. I, I got to say, I went to the concert when she came to Nashville. I am a Swifty. I've been converted. I am a, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan now. I got to ask, though, Eli, you told me you had the Ravens 25-1 to 1 in May. Was there any thought about hedging and taking Kansas City and the points? Because, you know, you got good value at this point, and you could maybe have a very easy middle here of Ravens win by three, you win your bet with Kansas City, and also continue to, you know, march forward with that ticket. Yeah, hedging is such an intriguing storyline in itself in the betting space. Yeah, it's something gamblers struggle with all the time. I mean, you want to – be greedy, but you also want to lock in some money. How do you do it? When do you do it? It feels like this would be a good opportunity here. Yeah, I am pretty bullish, though, on the Ravens, on my expectations for Baltimore in this game. And I'm also not as high on the Chiefs in the market. So when it comes to projections, I make this game closer to Baltimore, minus five, minus six, which may seem shocking to some, but I'm just not as high on the Chiefs as the market is and as your novice and casual NFL fans are, and I get it. It's Patrick Mahomes, two-time Super Bowl MVP. Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year, two-time regular season MVP. But offensively, this team just hasn't been right and all season because they don't have reliable receivers, one of the higher drop rates in the NFL. And, yes, you have Travis Kelsey, who's dating Taylor Swift, but even he is aging, he could even retire at the end of the season, that's not to say that that's the sole reason why I'm betting on Kansas City, but Baltimore's defense, they have one of the best defenses in the league, if not the best, under Mike McDonald, who was the defensive coordinator going back to his Michigan days under Jim Harbaugh, now coaching for his brother, John Harbaugh. And uh, when it comes to man-match coverage, Baltimore is extremely aggressive at the line of scrimmage. They run a lot of stunts, and the Chiefs are banged up on the offensive line and have pretty susceptible tackles. So I'm not saying Kansas City isn't going to score three touchdowns, maybe 20 points, but I do think that the Ravens are going to be able to hold them in check, especially their passing game relative to what Kansas City has shown the last couple weeks. Yeah, I agree, Eli. I I think uh, we talked about this a little earlier. The the Chiefs, although winning two playoff games, haven't seen a, a healthy defense the last couple of weeks too and they're you know the the one they're going to see on Sunday is uh definitely at a different level. I have one question uh, about the uh the NFC as we start to wind down here and that is what's your take from the perspective obviously the the, the Niners are are favored in that game. Uh there's been a lot of talk about Debo Samuel's availability and and how much impact does he have from your perspective on a on a line? in a game like this if he if he plays versus not playing yeah we saw it yesterday a little bit of movement on san francisco and i would say debo is worth about a point and that's because the line was kind of flexing back and forth between six and a half and seven earlier in the week favoring the niners and then like i said yesterday up to seven and a half so and i think that's justified just because what we saw brock purdy showcase last weekend and also i don't know how much you and i don't know how much you guys have knocked on purdy or have took his side or had a neutral stance after that showing and san francisco obviously one of the better teams in the nfl throughout the season but there were a lot of naysayers when it comes to purdy and his performances in the middle part of the season when san francisco underwent a bit of a lull i think lost two of three games or something around that number but i don't you know there's 
it seems to be this overreaction or big time negativity towards Purdy. I'm kind of middle ground here. Just looking back at his performance last week, I'm not super high on the guy. I'm not super low on the guy. I just kind of think he's, you know, you're above average NFL quarterback, especially in this system. And the Lions have outperformed expectations in a huge way throughout the season just because their defense has been extremely vulnerable, especially in the secondary. Cam Sutton and Bill Dorr, their two outside cornerbacks, uh, not taking a shot at Brian Branch, the Lions nickelback. But I think the Lions pass defense is one of the worst in the NFL, and that shows from a metric standpoint, too. Uh, bottom 10 in the league when it comes to passing success rates is just how efficient the opposing offense is. And the 49ers, A, have one of the more reliable offenses despite their lack of sh- lack of showing that against the Packers for much of the game last week. And Brock Purdy also has a ton of success against zone defenses, which is what the Lions tend to drop back in just because they have some unreliable outside cornerbacks. And whether it's Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk or Juwan Jennings or Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield, I think the 49ers offense is able to have their way against this Detroit defense. And while Jared Goff and the Lions have been praised throughout the season for their offensive success, I think the Niners win that game by more than a touchdown. I'm winning in the over on that game. I'm winning that way just because I do think you're right. San Francisco is going to score a lot of points. But I I have more confidence in Detroit's offense than I think you do at this point. But maybe that's a lack of confidence in San Francisco's defense as we've gotten later in the season. (laughs) Hey, Eli, we can't thank you enough. This was great. Um, We feel a little smarter. We feel like we're ready to go make a little money. Uh, Appreciate your input Uh, really quickly. Tell us uh, how listeners can follow you. Yeah, you could follow me on X at Eli Herskovich. You could check out my write-ups over at thelines.com. I have Super Bowl previews up when it comes to look-at lines. I have a conference championship game previews and some college basketball nuggets uh, later today as well. And you can check out the Lions podcast, one word. Just search for it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Appreciate your time on the way out. You can just give me one name. I see that you're a DePaul alum. Who do you want to hire for to be your next coach? <laughs> you know, I I haven't fo- followed DePaul basketball closely in years, and I honestly hate the program because <laughs> of some issues I had when I well, covered college okay. basketball. Fair enough. On a on a more reporter level, but Josh Schertz from Indiana State. I'll give you that. I, the, I think offensively, one of the better coaches in the country. Well, that no, we don't want him to be stuck on that dreadful program. DePaul basketball can go to hell per Eli and me because of the way they treated him <laughs> when he covered the team. Appreciate your time. appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Eli. All right, Sam, send us a break. We'll wrap up this week of the morning show. Stick with us right here on Fan Run Radio. I gotta say, I, I am. I do think our friend Eli is underestimating the power of Taylor Swift in the NFL, <laughs> and maybe the power of Patrick Mahomes. He seems very confident in his Ravens, which I mean, there is there is that possibility that the Ravens really just are a buzzsaw and have been telling us all year that they're a buzzsaw. You know, outside of a couple stumbles early in the season against the Colts, and they lost a couple dumb games. I think one to the Steelers, but like. For about two months now, they've been telling you. They lost twice to the Steelers. Mm-hmm. For now, they've been telling you for about two months that so they were just a juggernaut in the AFC. And and there is the possibility that we get to Sunday night. We're like, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's Lamar's moment. It's Lamar's time to win a Super Bowl, and we should have seen this coming. And on the other hand, there's a chance that you feel like a dumbass because you're like, why did I not just take Patrick Mahomes in the points? Because him and Andy Reid, what they do is win playoff games. I just think they've, again, they've played, and I, I don't dislike the Chiefs. I just think that they've played against wounded defenses the last couple of weeks and that they still have problems. Eli kind of stated that, too. I, I think that that's still the case on offense. They still have problems. But it's going to be rainy. I don't know. I don't know who that will benefit, but weather will be a factor, it sounds like. I understand what you're saying about the defenses, but also like the receivers for Kansas City finally looked open and like caught the ball. Like their problem has been not been getting open this year. It's True. been like they haven't been catching the ball, which is something that like an NFL receiver should be able to do, right? Like the drops were kind of uncharacteristic and just kind of an anomaly. Just maybe don't throw it to Kadarius Tony. Maybe don't give it to Miko Hardman, but like let everybody else try to make plays. And, and it did seem like Kelsey kind of hit that playoff gear. So like, I don't know what to do in that game. I, where I'm personally leaning is just to take the points with both underdogs and, and just think that uh, I, I can see Detroit winning outright, honestly. It seems kind of crazy to say, but I think the 49ers are a little bit of a paper tiger. I think they get a little bit too much credit for what they actually are, especially if Debo Samuel doesn't play. But even if Debo Samuel does play, I would think there's a 35% chance he gets knocked out of the game. Like him or Christian McCaffrey, like one of those guys is going to be banged up. That's just been preordained with the 49ers luck. One of those guys is going to be banged up. And that Niners offense is significantly worse when you don't have Debo Samuel out on the field for them. You know, obviously I I think he's going to play. I don't I, I wouldn't imagine that you get to the NFC Championship game and he gets held back, but even if he's just a decoy in that game, like I I still think that the impact that Debo brings to that offense, if he's not fully healthy or gets knocked out of the game, I think you see Detroit stay in that. It sounds it, like you don't believe in Kansas City at all this I week. Well, here's what I think. I, I actually think what you said about the receivers, they did look different for sure last weekend. Um, if I'm Baltimore, I wonder if the approach is you take one dimension out of that Kansas City offense. If they could somehow bottle up Pacheco, for example, does that yeah. change things? And yeah. I could see something like that happening because you're right. The receivers are they played at a different level than what we had seen. We talked about that at the beginning of the week, but it's right now what helps them too is they got Pacheco running like a like a maniac, and uh, uh, it'd be interesting. We're going to learn not too long from now, you know, how Baltimore is going to approach it defensively. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold on Kansas City and. That bums out my wife. She's a big Swifty and has become a Chiefs fan as a result of that. Just the very thing that uh, the NFL loves at this point. Um, and that San Francisco game, I still stand by. I think Sam's there too. And now, John, it sounds like maybe you can get there as with Detroit. I think Detroit is, like I said, just as talented. I don't view San Francisco as a juggernaut like some people have throughout the year. Like they seem. The Chase Young boom of them adding that pass rusher has kind of waned a little bit. Like it, when he first got there, all of a sudden San Francisco was creating a bunch of pressure. But over the last handful of weeks, that hasn't really been the case. Like Green Bay, quite frankly, should have won that game. Green, Green Bay was better than them for at least 75% of the game. Right. And, you know, I think the Lions are probably more talented than Green Bay. Now, you could say Jordan Love maybe is playing at a higher level than Goff. And, I wouldn't necessarily disagree, and you could talk about 
Green Bay maybe having a depth of receivers that that the Lions don't have, but like they also don't have Amon Ross St. Brown, and like they don't have the explosiveness of Gibbs. And I understand Jones has been good. But that long run that in the fourth quarter that Jones had, that kind of set them up in field goal range, that's one that Gibbs probably takes to the house if he gets to right. that level. Like, if they're able to kind of create some looks there, those become touchdowns against Detroit. And I don't know if I can get there fully for them to win because I do think Detroit's defense is bad. I do think that. I think they got a little bit better when, when Gardner Johnson got back. But also... I just don't know if they can stop San Francisco enough. I expect the game to be in the 30s. I'm thinking like 34-31 is kind of where I'm at. And San Francisco probably wins that game, but that gives you the Detroit cover and that gives you the over. So if I'm looking at it just from a gambling perspective, that's what I like. Now watch that be dumb whenever San Francisco wins 37-17. to That happens. Yeah. I mean, We've, we've all thank been you. there. Yeah, thank we've, you. We've, we've all thank been you for there. the preemptive pat on the bat. It's it's okay, buddy. It happens. Yeah, we've, to us we've all. just all yeah. been there, right? We we think yeah. we've got a we've got a solution, and it doesn't happen. I've I've definitely been there. Well, week one, uh, yeah, week one of the playoffs, uh, everything I said was wrong. So yes, I I have been there quite recently. So take it for what it's worth, but that's my explanation for why I think the way I think. Yes. About those games. Hey, as we wind down the week, real quick. Let's go around the room. What's the best thing you saw happen in sports or pop culture this week? The best thing or the most intriguing thing? Either one. Okay. I mean, honestly, uh, the best, the, the one that made me laugh the most was probably the Kayshawn Booty gambling stuff that yeah. came out yesterday. That was that was probably the, the best thing. Not great that he maybe is ruining his life and that he lost like <laughs> 80 grand. Those probably aren't great. But uh, to me, the most intriguing thing and the thing that interested me the most probably was the, the details that came out about Vince McMahon. And that was such a big part of my childhood, watching him and, and, and keeping up with him in the WWE to kind of realize, yeah, kind of a monster. Yes. That, that to me, was maybe the most impactful. So maybe not a, a very uplifting segment from my perspective. we got a guy <laughs> losing $80,000 and another. Well, that would have been my worst of the week. And, and another billionaire uh, being, a, uh, being a monster. Sam, Kayshawn Butte is hard for me to top. Yeah, that one just really, really got me going yesterday. Two, two I guess, catches for twenty yards in a game that he had bet on himself, and I'm, I'm wondering how stressed he was over on the sideline. Like, how much money did he lose? Did he get mad at Jaden Daniels? Probably a lot. It was the pressure too much for him. There's two a video catches. of Jaden Daniels like consoling him as they go to the sideline, and they were like. Kayshawn Butte is not worried about yeah. the drops. He's worried about the money that he's the eight leg parlay that he's losing right now. Uh, other than that, Zaylen Hurd, I think is is you know the next big news to me that is just huge. To G Mac, don't forget G Mac. G Mac, yeah, it's a it was a huge week, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, but in terms of Tennessee football recruiting, I think this was a huge one in terms of kind of that next setting the setting the stage for not only this next season but but years after that. Yeah, for me, that was top of the list, those those two guys coming in at the same week. At, at a time where it felt like Tennessee fans were all watching what was happening at Alabama and thinking, man, when is, when is Tennessee going to get theirs? Well, they, they all came in at once. Um, and so I thought that was, that was the best, although I had another one, and it's a little more pop culture, but uh, it's tied to the Super Bowl. 
the last couple of years, I think in the Super Bowl, Anheuser-Busch has always been a big advertiser, and their spots have been different lately. But they're bringing back the Clydesdales this oh, year. Let's go. Nice. Let's go. Which everybody loves the Clydesdales, right? So when I saw that, it, that just made me smile. That's that's what I expect in a Super Bowl commercial is something like that. So I, I can't wait to to find out how those horses make me cry this year. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and then my worst of the week, uh, we didn't really ask for that, but it, it was it's this Vince McMahon thing, man. The more I'm looking at this in commercial breaks and stuff, that's some that's some dark stuff with a guy, like you said, John, for a lot of people, was kind of an icon to a lot of people. And it's, yeah. uh, boy, Mighty can sometimes fall hard, and it looks like he's about to. So, If I had one more submission pop culturally, i got to say uh, the, the Roadhouse trailer that dropped yesterday. That was good. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is going to somehow turn that hokey 80s Patrick Swayze movie maybe into an actual gritty, hard-hitting uh, movie. Have you ever seen Roadhouse, Sam? Okay. I had an uncle named Jimmy that uh, was as straight-laced as you could be in terms of when he wasn't working, he was at the church, never drank, never had like any vices, very kind of socially awkward, but a good guy. But, man, he loved Roadhouse. That was his favorite movie. And the movie is just Patrick Swayze takes over this bar as, like, a bartender or as a bouncer, basically, as a manager slash bouncer, and is just kicking all these, like, country people's ass that's trying to, like, be corrupt. And and Jake Gyllenhaal, I guess, is rebooting it and remaking it. And people were mad at it at first, but I saw the trailer. I think it might be pretty good. Yeah, and Conor McGregor's the bad guy. Conor McGregor. Because, yeah, I guess Jake Gyllenhaal in this movie is a UFC fighter. Like a so McGregor's UFC throughout fighter. the whole movie. It's not just like I, the fight scene. I don't know if McGregor's throughout the whole movie, but like okay. he's he's a villain in it, and there's he's always in it, yeah, yeah. And it's it does look like it's setting up for like the climax of the movie being them two like fighting in the bar or something. So like I would say he'll be in a lot of the movie. I saw that they filmed like the fight scene at an actual UFC event, which is yeah. so cool. Well, he has like there, there's a I don't know if that they. Their fight won't be there, but they did show Jake Gyllenhaal having like a bit of a career in the ring. Yeah. Was that in Nashville they filmed that or no? Because I remember it really, the event. It, it really might have been. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. But yeah, Jalen Hall looks good. He's one of my favorite actors. He's jacked in yeah. this thing, man. And and Billy Magnuson's the bad guy, the really bad guy. Right. He's done some other films. Yeah. McGregor's so. his goon. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was my favorite thing, maybe from pop culture. All right, good week of shows. Hopefully. After this week, we do not have another snowstorm that keeps us away, and we can actually do two consecutive weeks in studio. I'll see you Monday. Have a good weekend, everybody. Jake Miller, Brett Hollander, Marcus Young up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.